What's up, party people? Welcome to this week's episode of Romancing Nancy Drew, brought to you, brought to you by Cough Drops. <laughs> um, I'm your host, Indy Nickerson, which stands for Nancy Drew Nickerson. You can find me at Indy Nickerson on Twitter or at Romancing Nancy on Twitter, if you're so inclined. You do you, though. We are ending season nine this week, actually, with Nancy Drew Files number 20, which is called Very Deadly Yours. Yes. So... Let's start with the cover. The main background of this cover is white. And of course, we have like the interesting like powder blue slash Barbie pink happening. But I hate Nancy's hair on this cover. (laughs) She's got like this weird wave happening, but she's also got the feather bangs in the front and is it's just not a good look. I'm, I'm sorry. It's just I've never enjoyed this cover. She's also back to just pure old blonde. We ain't even going to acknowledge anything else. Behind her is a nighttime scene. So there's, it's a city scene. So you can see buildings and you can see streetlights and things like that that are in different colors. And behind her is presumably Bess, who has arguably slightly better hair. Um, It's almost the same shade. She's looking kind of behind her with her mouth open. And there's this guy behind her who looks very, like... I don't know, lurchish, honestly. He does not look like a good time. Um, Nancy is wearing this blue, like half turtleneck, three quarters sleeve, powder blue top with a white jumper thing happening. It looks like a skirt that has the suspenders attached. Like there's no bib part to this. It's like eggshell white. It's there's there's a lot happening and none of it is good. Um, I don't remember anything that she wore in this book being described in this way. Bess is wearing a pink sweater that looks like it's got kind of a mock turtleneck thing happening, but it also looks like it has dolman sleeves, which I absolutely loathe, and a denim skirt. So she's she's rocking it classic. But anyway, the guy behind her looks like he's just straight off black leather. Let's just go with that. He looks blonde and also like he may be a cadaver. So good times the majority of the background though is white and it doesn't make sense but anyway it also looks like maybe something else was happening in the background of this that they had to just cut out but they only had exacto knives because photoshop did not exist in february of 1988 so there's just a lot happening and i've, I've got to say that the cover cover wise it's it's not a good look um but the actual tap body of this yes i'm 100 fucking here for so why? Why am I so in love with this book? So the weird thing about the Nancy Drew Files is, of course, like books one through 10 have a different mood than the rest of the series, period. Honestly, you've got the Nancy and Ned breaking up arc. You've got Nancy, like George being involved with the punk gang and kidnappings and fake blood everywhere. And like, for me, it always felt like really a lot more edgy than the rest of the series was. Then you hit the teens. So we've gotten through the teens and there's some really interesting shit happening in the teens, but the early twenties, because this is book number 20 for whatever fucking reason. So I'm, I'm really, really fucking excited for what's going to happen on the next file season because we're going to hit my favorite. No, actually my second favorite files, but like, I don't know. I don't, it's relationship wise because that's the whole point of this fucking podcast relationship wise like Nancy and Ned there's a lot of really good stuff happening for them in the 20s I mean sure the great depression has not yet happened it's fine but we know a crash is coming we just don't know <laughs> but anyway so this book and I actually I don't remember how I've stumbled across this shit but um I saw an interview with the ghostwriter that said and I don't even think they identified who the ghostwriter was honestly I don't I have never seen an extensive complete list of the ghostwriters who were involved in the series but um the ghostwriter who wrote this one said oh I didn't know what to do with Ned so spoiler alert she um she doesn't put him in a coma but she does actually have him hit by a car and go to the hospital mm, which Honestly, when I read this book, the first time I read it, I was like, oh my God, yes, because there's a lot of relationship moments in this book and there's angst over the fact that Ned gets hit by a fucking car when he's, he is actually there to see Nancy while she's working on her case. The car that hits Ned was aiming for Nancy. Nancy feels like absolute utter shit over this. And I was like, 
Yes, you've hit all the buttons. You've hit all the buttons. Also, the only thing that you needed to do was follow up with a comfort sex where she was like, I feel so bad that a car hit you. I'm going to need to put out. Like, indubitably. Come on, y'all. Come on. So, the actual text, the, the actual plot here um, is that Bess answers a personal ad, which, again, this is 1988. The book opens with Nancy and Bess and George at Nancy's house. They've just had brunch. It's a rainy Sunday. It's very cold outside. And they are they have different sections of the newspaper that they're checking into, which is just adorably 80s because you're like, yes, that is what teens did in the 80s. They would just take the Sunday paper and they would split the sections among themselves. Nobody's looking at the comics. Nancy's looking at the actual news part. She says it has been a snow, slow news week because apparently they found a bird's nest in City Hall and that's front page. George, of course, is looking at the sports pages, and Bess is looking at the personals. Bess is like, I love the personals. They're so fantastic, and you you get to get a little peek into people's lives, and sometimes it's funny, and who knows? Maybe I could find the guy of my dreams in the personals, and Nancy and George are like, no, but okay. I mean, of course, Bess doesn't have an app on her phone where she can swipe left or right, so... It's going to be personals. So, um, and they're, of course, fucking... It. <sighs> okay. Again, trigger warning for best discussion of weight. But in this book, again, they were having brunch. Um, the last piece of coffee cake is on the table. and Bess is eating grapes. And then she um, says something about the last piece of coffee cake. And they're like, go ahead and eat it. And Bess is like, oh, I'm going to go on my diet tomorrow. And Nancy... And Nancy being the narrator in this book is like, there's nothing wrong with Bess's weight. Bess looks fine. She doesn't need to lose any weight, but it's no use telling her that. So we just kind of nod and go along with it, which is actually one of the better ways that they've ever approached this. At the end of the book, they say again, like every day Bess says she's going to go on a diet tomorrow and, and she, it, it just never happens or she stays on it for like two hours or whatever the fuck. But anyway, so Nancy's like, you look great. But anyway, so Bess finishes off the coffee cake and then she's like, I found it. I found it, girls. So the one that she's found, and they talk about this later, apparently the personals that are in the book, in the um, in the newspaper, are only updated once a week, so they keep running the same ones. And there's one that um, this guy's looking for somebody who likes cats, and George is like, you like cats, and Bess is like, not 15 of them, that's too many. Um, so yeah. Um, then Bess finds this one. Quote, where are you? I know you're out there. I've been looking for you for two years. If you're blonde, blue-eyed, medium tall, and love to wear white, I must meet you immediately. I have a lot to offer, and I can promise you won't be sorry. Please, please contact me as soon as possible. And Bess is like, it's me. I'm wearing a white sweater right now. <laughs> and I am medium tall. And George and Nancy are both like, no, fuck no, no. And Bess is like, I'm going to answer the ad. And they're like, no. And she's like, what? And Nancy says, look, if you're going to do this incredibly ill-advised thing, at least meet him in like a a public place, like somewhere where there's a lot of people around so that if he tries anything that, you know, you've got somebody that you can run to. And Bess is like, of course, of course, I'm I'm not going to be dumb about this. It's fine. I'm not a baby. So if he wants to get together on a deserted bridge at midnight, I won't go out with him, says Bess. And you're like, sure, honey. Nancy didn't have time to wonder whether Bess had called her a mystery man. On Monday, Ned came home for intercession. Okay. When the ghostwriter said, I didn't know what to do with Ned in this book, I was like, you do the thing that the other ghostwriters do, which is you say he's an Emerson and he has a paper to write. <laughs> it's going to be a long one. It's going to be complicated. There may be scientific experiments. We do not know. But anyway, on Monday, Ned came home for intercession. She spent every free minute of that week with him. By the next Sunday night, they had seen four movies, shared seven pizzas, and talked on the phone for 10 hours. My dad always wonders what we find to talk about. She confided to Ned on Sunday night. They were walking home from George's. What were they doing at George? It's fine. Um, he says we spend so much time together when you're home that there can't possibly be anything left to say on the phone. I can't explain it to him. Well, seeing you in person is even better, Ned said, squeezing her hand, especially when there's no case to take you away from me. This time I'm all yours, so you better appreciate it. You know where my mind went. You know where I did. 
They were nearing Nancy's house now. Want to come in for a little while before you head home, she asked. I better not, Ned answered. I don't know why it is, but my parents want to see me once in a while, too. I guess parents are just strange that way. Nancy leaned up to kiss him goodnight. I'm so glad you're home, she whispered. Me, too. I'll see you tomorrow. Nancy goes inside and gets absorbed in a magazine article about the dangers of over-tanning, which, that does not strike me as authentic to the character, but okay. Maybe it's for future reasons. Maybe it's because she senses that Bess has intentions in that area. But anyway, um, Nancy picks it up. She says, oh, it's, hey, Ned, and it's not Ned, it's Bess. And Bess is like, oh, my God, you have to help me. And Nancy's like, with what? And Bess says, I met that guy on that date, and I think now he's trying to kill me. And Nancy's like, poor the fuck qua. So they met at a restaurant, but it, it wasn't a very busy restaurant like it was actually a pretty deserted restaurant and as soon as she came in like when I when they talked on the phone to set up the date like they had a lot of common interests and everything seemed to be fine um but when she sat down to talk to him like on their actual date he ordered coffee which she thought was weird so she ordered coffee because she was like well you know I'm not gonna order a meal if he's just gonna have coffee um he said his name was Steve Steve Belden he gave his phone number um but it's not in the phone book um, as soon as I sat down, he grabbed Bess's wrist hard and said, where's the money? What money? Nancy asked, bewildered. That's what I said, but he just repeated the question. I told him I didn't know what he was talking about. He looked at me for a second in a kind of creepy way and then said, all right, if that's the way you want it. But how could you leave the glove to die? Glove is capitalized. I thought you loved him. So... They have no fucking clue what this is about. None at all. So after the guy is like, okay, I guess you're not going to tell me anything. He tells Bess, I'll be watching you. And if you make one false move, I'm going to kill you. And then he says that he's leaving. He said, don't watch me go. Um, wait five minutes and then go. So Bess is there terrified. Um, waits five minutes, gets out and goes to her car and then gets home and is terrified that he's following her that he followed her home, that he's stalking her, basically, and Nancy's like, I'm sure you're fine, like, because she's like, I mean, maybe yes, but it's not going to do any good to worry about it, so, Bess is over at Nancy's house, um, they decide to go to the newspaper that, the morning record, which is actually the same one that Nancy worked with in Files 15, um, that's the one where Ann Granger was covering the case about the cab company, so, so Nancy's familiar with Anne, but in this book, they're saying that Anne has taken a job with a, a newspaper in Chicago, so she's no longer the paper, but Nancy has a relationship with the editor, or the publisher, let me see, it doesn't actually matter, <coughs> um, his name is Hank Whitaker, and he's either the editor, I think he's the publisher, honestly, or he's associated with the publishers, so she knows him, they decide to go talk to him and see if they can track down the person who placed the the personal ad, when they're walking up to the building, um, apparently the building is undergoing renovations and a wheelbarrow full of bricks like falls right onto where they would, of course, have hit Nancy and Bess. And so, of course, they jump backward and fall down and it's all bad. And Yeah. <clears throat> so they go inside. Um, the receptionist is like, what is, what's your visit regarding? And Nancy's like, um, we need to talk to the person who handles the personals. And the receptionist is like, oh, she's a flat-out bitch. She's on the fifth floor. So they go up, and Nancy and Bess are like, this bodes ill, because Nancy has not met this person before. Her name is Lena Verl, which, again, sounds like she needs to be wearing those cat eye glasses from the 50s, and also her hair needs to be up in a bun, and she needs to be rocking a cardigan, but it needs to be a brown one. And she needs to look very disapproving. Like, we're talking, like, really sarcastic, evil library level. But anyway... They stop to talk to her, and actually, she's wearing, it says, the drabbest clothes Nancy had ever seen, a droopy olive green cardigan, a limp beige blouse, and a shapeless gray skirt. <laughs> Nancy is like, I'm judging all of your fashion choices, while probably making questionable ones myself. So, um, Nancy asks Selena about the personal ad. Lena's like, uh, I don't know anything about the person who placed it. Most people don't actually come here to place them. They send them in through the mail. Um, some of them give false names, so we don't actually know who they are. We assign them a box, basically, so that they can come in and pick up their messages or um, however they want to handle it. But if they pay in cash, we're going to have no fucking clue. And Nancy's like, cool, okay. Um, 
can we, you know, is there anything else that we can do? And she's like, no, honestly, no. So Nancy and Buzz don't really know what to do at that point. They do go, they do want to talk to the editor, but he is out of town apparently on vacation for a week. And so Nancy and Buzz are like, okay, well, bye. And Nancy decides she'll just come back whenever the editor is no longer, I'm sorry, the publisher is no longer on vacation. So Nancy goes to the restaurant the waitress says, yeah, I remember seeing the couple, but um, I didn't really notice anything that's going to help you. Um, Bess comes in a week later, basically, and says that she, of course, was checking out the personals again in the Sunday paper. And she sees the same ad that she answered two weeks earlier. But it has a new last line, you better find me before I find you. So now, of course, Bess is freaked out again. Because she's afraid that the person is still going to be chasing her. So, Nancy says, okay, well, I'm going to go talk to Mr. Whitaker tomorrow. I'm sure we'll get all this straightened out. It's going to be fine. So, Nancy dresses up in her... (laughs) This is what Ned calls her future executive of America outfit, which is, you, you know that you're breathless with anticipation for this, a khaki skirt, navy blazer, and white blouse with a floppy tie. Yeah. Good times, good times. Anyway, so she um goes into the office. The receptionist is like, I'm sorry, he, you know, do you have an appointment? And he's like, no, I, I need to see Mr. Whitaker. And she's like, well, I can't let you up there without an appointment. And he says, okay, how can I make an appointment? And the woman says, you need to talk to a secretary. And he's like, okay, can I talk to a secretary? And she's like, no, you don't have an appointment. And he's like, okay, um, okay. So she just gets in the elevator and goes up to the fifth floor. <laughs> It's just, yeah, it's it's just a nightmare. Oh, I'm sorry. He's editor-in-chief. I was thinking publisher just because he doesn't really seem to do anything newspaper-related, but it's fine. Um, So she tells him what's going on. She's like, my friend answered this ad in the personals, and the person was really, like, creepy and, like, borderline abusive. And he's like, well, we definitely want to take care of that because we don't want the paper to get a bad reputation. So, so. Mr. Whitaker's like, oh, well, you can work with Lena. And Nancy's like, um, and he's like, come on, I'm sure it'll be fine. So they go talk to Lena. Lena freaks out because she thinks that Nancy is trying to get her job or trying to get her in trouble or trying to get her fired or something. So she's not all that nice to Nancy, but you know, it's fine. Um, I will say this. I think that whoever wrote this at least had maybe toured a newspaper office because a lot of it does actually ring as authentic. Um, the newspaper office is about six stories. Um, it looks like a modern new office. Um, the Lena's in the newsroom where all the writers have cubicles. The floor above has the executives. There's a floor for the paper's business staff, which I was like salespeople. Another floor contained the file rooms in the library and the building's first two floors were taken up with printing equipment, which as soon as I read that, like I could smell it. There was a locked room filled with huge, quietly humming computers in addition to a mailroom and a small kitchen filled with what seemed to be a thousand of thousands of discarded coffee cups. Please keep this room clean, advised a tattered sign above the grimy sink. Yes, that all of that seems authentic. Um, the telephone's ringing constantly. The wire service machines clattered away, which I was like, yeah. This, to Nancy, seemed like what a typical newspaper should sound like. And, yeah, like... It does feel very much like pop culture-y news, um, watching it in movies, but it's fine. Where's all the cigarette smoke and the guys yelling copy, Nancy asked, smiling. Lena Verl looked at her humorlessly. That's only in the movies, she said. We don't need copy boys now that everything's computerized and hardly anyone smokes anymore. Um, this is 1988. Personal computers were being used for desktop publishing, um, roughly 1986. So, um... Yeah, there would have been aspects of this that would have been computerized. The The way that they describe using computers in this book is a little bit fishy to me. But again, 1988, not everybody necessarily would have had access to a computer to describe it accurately. So it's fine. Um, Nancy gets introduced to Lucy, who works nearby, who is trying to find people to interview for a piece about celebrity bathrooms. Pimp my bathroom. But no, it's fine. She's like, do you know any celebrities? And Nancy's like, no. She's like, are you famous? Nancy's like, not, not exactly. And Lucy just lets it go, which I love because Nancy is, if anything, a local celebrity. So find out all about her fixtures. Does she have a claw-footed tub? Is she interested in a claw-footed tub? Does she have those heated 
things that people put in their bathrooms to make sure that their towels are nice and toasty when they step out. What's, what's she got? What's the sitch? But anyway, that's fine. So, um, Nancy looks around. She doesn't find anything that's really going to help her that much. Um, and then when she's going out to her car, Lena runs out after her and she's like, I just talked to the guy who placed the ad. He said that he'll die if you investigate this case. And Nancy's like, oh, shit. He's threatening me. This is great. And Lena's like, what? And Nancy goes inside the building. She's like, she goes to the receptionist, who is much nicer to her now that she's got the official sign-off from the editor. And her name is Dawn. And Nancy's like, Dawn, a call just came in. You put it through to Lena. And Lena's like, oh, no, no, it came through to my personal line. And Dawn's like, what are you talking about? And Nancy's like, it it did. And Dawn's like, she doesn't have a fucking personal line. She doesn't have, I'm the one who handles all the fucking calls. I would know. And she did not get a call five minutes ago. And Nancy's like, what is going on? And Lena's like, I thought that she wanted to take my job. And Nancy's like, I don't want to take your fucking job. Like, what the, dude. I just, I'm trying to find the person who placed this fucking ad, you dipshit. <laughs> so, she she's tearful and Nancy's trying to comfort her and then Ned comes jogging toward Nancy and he stopped by Nancy's house and Hannah told him that Nancy was going to be up in the newspaper office so he came by to see her and see if she had any time um he sees that Lena's upset Ned stops because there's a stone in his shoe and he's going to take it out and a dark blue car was heading straight at Nancy Nancy jumps out of the way and pulls Lena with her but Ned was right in the path of the car so it gets it hits him full force, hurtling him high into the air and speeds away before he hits the ground with a terrible thud. Of course, that's a chapter ender. Because holy shit, how could that not be a chapter ender? Um, Nancy rushes over to Ned. His head is bit in a sickeningly sharp angle. His mouth was half open. His face was gray and it felt clammy when Nancy touched it. He was absolutely still, um, this is quoting, Oh, no, no, please let him be alive, she thought frantically to herself as she felt his neck for a pulse. She almost sobbed with relief when she realized his heart was still beating. His pulse was shallow and rapid, though he'd gone into shock. So, um, she doesn't dare move him because she's not sure if he has any sort of spinal injury. She, um, Lena, she, actually Nancy asked Lena to see if she could catch the license plate number of the car, but Lena is not able to, so Nancy sends her inside to call an ambulance. Um, Lena's like, oh, should we, like, help him inside? And Nancy's like, don't touch him. Don't touch him. We don't know what his injuries are. So, um, the ambulance shows up. Nancy actually goes to her car and gets a blanket that she has in the trunk of her car for picnic reasons. Also, for case reasons. (laughs) Nancy at all times is prepared. Like, Nancy's probably got a fucking fire axe in the trunk of her car for reasons. But anyway, so she goes and gets a blanket and puts it over Ned and sits with his... I was going to say corpse, but this is not that kind of book. He does not die. Um, the ambulance shows up. They check him out. They say that he's in the shock. They um, put him into the ambulance. Um, they're very careful with him because, of course, we don't know about spinal injuries. Nisa goes with him to the hospital. Um, and they're not sure what's going on. Um, and they do x-rays. It seems like he's okay. He's definitely got... They're not sure about swelling, etc. Because, of course, he had a head injury. Um, they don't see any internal injuries, but I mean, I would say that because they do say that he's got a concussion and I would say that that is an internal injury, but okay, I'm not a doctor. Um, they're waiting on the x-rays. They tell her to go home and Nancy's like, can I say goodbye to him? And they're like, oh, he's, he's not awake. So, and of course Nancy feels like absolute shit. She gets home. Her, her dad's like, are you okay? And she's like, this is the fucking worst day. Oh my God, this is the fucking worst day. So actually she tries to, here's, it's 1988. Nancy's trying to get in touch with Ned's parents. So she keeps calling his house and they never answer. They don't have cell phones. This, no, um, for the duration of this series, there are no cell phones. So the only thing that she can do actually is to drive to his house and sit there and wait for his parents to come home, which they were away at a party. Um, so of course they didn't hear, they weren't home to receive her call. They pull up after having been to the party. They're so happy, you know, they're happy to see her. And then they tell her, I mean, she tells them what has happened to Ned and they immediately get in the car and go to the hospital. Like she just, she ruined their day. And she's like, I'm sure they hate me that, you know, it's, it was just absolutely horrible. Um, when Nancy gets home, 
and she's telling her dad about all this. Hannah, the phone rings. Hannah picks it up, and she's like, somebody keeps calling the house and hanging up. And Nancy's like, huh. So the next time the phone rings, Nancy picks it up and answers, and she's like, this is Nancy Drew. And the person says, you think this after, just think of this afternoon as a little warning, the voice said, and stay out of my way from now on. My favorite is that she probably said, you know, who's this? What are you calling about? Because, of course, but anyway. So, Nancy tells her father that, of course, somebody just called and threatened her to get off the case. And, of course, the person was gunning for her when this happened. And he's like, this is so frustrating. Her father bit his lip. Nan, I know we have this talk about once a month, he said. And I know you won't quit a case just because it's dangerous. But it seems to me that you may be too emotionally involved. Can't you turn this over to the pros? First off, you have it once a month because that was the printing schedule for the files. Um, Second... What the literal fuck? Like, this never fucking works. Dad, I can't quit. You know that. She said quietly but firmly. And you're like, no, she can't quit. We're on page 49 and we've got 100 pages to go. So, so he immediately is persuaded to say, okay, well, you can stay on the case. Just be careful. Like, psh, psh. anyway. Uh, Nancy tries to sleep. She keeps having nightmares that the car is bearing down on Ned. So she... Wakes up, calls the hospital in the morning, and they say that he's awake and he's doing fine. And so she goes in to see him. Okay, so miraculously, they're keeping Ned in bed. They've done x-rays. They've done scans. They don't see any signs of any sort of internal damage or anything. Like, he hasn't broken any bones, anything like that has happened. But he did have, suffer a head injury. He is concussed. They're not sure about sports. And, of course, Ned plays every sport that is offered by Emerson, all the big three at least. So so that's upsetting to Nancy. Like, she doesn't like the, the idea that Ned would get hurt on one of her cases and it would impact his sports career. Um, when she goes to see him, like, and also they can't give him any sort of pain medication because they're worried about um, any symptoms that he might show that the pain medication would mask. So he, at some point, is kind of, like, starts gritting his teeth, and they're like, he may appear to come unglued. <laughs> and you're like, sure, of course. This is always what happens. But anyway, um, the daughter also tells Nancy that um, he can't be under a lot of stress. He says, so you're a private detective? And Nancy's like, yes, which I love that there's a point where she's like, this is my job. And you're like, no one pays you. But anyway, it's fine. Um, and they tell her, like, you need to not talk about that with him. Like, you don't want to make him upset right now. You don't want to, like, overheat his brain. It's almost like he's a Victorian woman. And we cannot have thoughts crowding in the head of his. So, Nancy cannot tell him what's going on. Of course, none knows that she's working on a case that, you know, Bess was, Bess had a guy that had me anyway. Um, Nancy feels like crap. Um... She's like, I can't believe a car hit you. I feel so bad. You are, you came to see me. Um, do you promise you're not mad at me? I love you so much, Nancy said. Do you promise you're not mad at me for getting you into this? Mad at you, Nancy, if that car had hit you, I'd never forgiven myself, which, yeah. Nancy smiled wryly. Well, now you know how I feel. Nancy, no one's mad at you. Let's see. My parents are just glad I'm okay, which... That is shocking. Also, they must have a fantastic health insurance. Now, calm down and give me a kiss. When Nancy lifted her head, she looked a lot happier. I like that I can read a lot into that exchange. Um, okay, I'll take your word for everything she said. That's good. But Ned suddenly gasped. Don't worry, it's it's it just hurts a little. He muttered, they can't give me any painkillers. I'm sorry, it makes it hard. Oh, yes, it does, honey. Um, no, it's fine. Um... So, yeah, they tell her to be careful. Don't talk about the case. Don't, you know, don't overtax him. Don't stress him. Uh, Nancy goes to the newspaper. Lena asks how Ned's doing. Um, and Nancy's like, well, he's he's awake and he's he's doing a lot better. and He just needs to recover. I just can't really talk about it right now because this is upsetting me. Um, Nancy gets to go through the mail that's come in for the personals. Um, but... She actually sees that day's edition of the paper, and there's a personal that says, N period, D period, I warned you last night, you better listen to me, keep out of my way or you'll be sorry. Nancy sees that, and, she's, and remember, Lena has told her, and everybody else has told her, actually, the people that she's asked, um, that the personals are only updated once a week. This is midweek. 
The odds run for an entire week and we only update them once a week. We're only we're not due to add new ones for another couple of days. And I see all the new ads before they go in. However, this was done, it wasn't done through the normal channels. Um like logistically, depending on how the the organization is handling things, like as soon as they said this, I was like, then it's somebody who works for the paper. I mean, the obvious candidate is Lena. And if Lena thinks that Nancy's trying to steal her job, then it would make some sense that she would maybe put a threatening note in there. But again, like once Nancy sees it and like, is like, how did this happen? And Lena says, well, it, any, any ads come through me and it didn't come through me, like would immediately cast suspicion on her. So it doesn't make a ton of sense for Lena to have done it, but Lena's also the most obvious suspect. So, um, she, Nancy actually goes down to the supply room at this point because she's trying to figure out what she's going to do. And both Lena and Lucy need some supplies. So they send her down there. Um, and plus she wants to kind of get a feel for the place anyway. So she gets introduced to the guys who are in the, actually, I'm sorry. When she opens the door, she hears a thud and somebody yells, I'm dying. And she rushes into the room and a thin young man was doubled up on the floor, clutching his foot and moaning. Two of his coworkers were looking down at him calmly and making no move at all to help him. And I was like, again, this feels accurate. What's the matter? She asked, walking up, can I do something? Are you hurt? And one of the standing up, not hurt male pre- people is like, oh, he's okay. Mr. Walking Wounded just dropped a stapler on his foot. That's all. We go through this kind of thing all the time. His name is Bill. Bill Stark. Todd Hill and Steve Redman are the other two, but Bill Stark is the one who was on the floor clutching and, and moaning and generally just not taking shit very well. So, um, Nancy gather they she gives them a list of supplies to gather at the supplies um they she says that she's working with lena they're like oh well she's uh, just a total bitch um yeah so they talk about the personals the guys say that they read the personals of course because who knows maybe they'll meet mrs right that way and so they start flirting with nancy she's like i'm taken it's fine don't don't touch me so everybody like, whenever she asks about it, everybody's like, yeah, Lena's the one who handles the personals, and, like, and how would, we, you know, somebody inserting a personal, that would be very strange, and out, and it just wouldn't make a lot of sense, so, Nancy's, Nancy goes back to Lena, and it confronts her, and is like, you're the one who did this, and Lena's like, I did not do this, I would not have done this, and Nancy's like, uh, okay, you know, I don't believe you, right? Seriously. But the thing is that, again, anybody who works at the newspaper who knows the workflow would be able to do this, honestly. I'm just saying. I'm just fucking saying. But anyway. Um, she goes back to Lena's desk, and there's a note that says, Dear Lena, encloses a message for next week's personalist column. Thanks for bending the deadline this once. Nancy quickly glanced at Lena, who looked stunned. And the message, she continued, in case you've forgotten, is this. Watch out, Indy. If you don't get out of here, expect the worst. You'll get it. Well, Lena, who sent you this? I've never seen it before, Lena Stamert. That's funny. Whoever wrote it seems to know you awfully well. And again, it, it makes it definitely sound like an inside job. So, Nancy goes to talk to Mr. Whitaker, who's like, oh, I hadn't noticed this. Nancy also, at this point, is like, I don't know the identity of the person who who placed the ad, and I don't actually know who best met on that date, so she has to be really careful around any guys. So, um. So Mr. Whitaker's like, do you have any suspects? And he's like, and she says, oh, I, you know, you know how it is. I don't know. So she call Nancy calls Bess because she's like, uh, all signs are pointing to somebody here being involved. So she calls Bess and she wants to get Bess to come in and look around at people. Because if one of them is the guy that she met on her date, then that would make some sense. So, Bess and George arrive. Um, Nancy actually decides to go down to the morgue, though, so the back copies of the paper, because she wants to find out the name of the guy that that Bess is supposed to have murdered <laughs> two years ago when she was 16. Um, so, Nancy looks him up. She finds out his name was John Ingus. He was an ex-con who had done time for armed robbery and forgery. He'd been in violation of his parole to be in Chicago at all. Police had apparently never discovered what he was doing there. He had been killed in a traffic accident that had left his body so mangled that it took days to identify the remains. So, good job all around. 
Nancy is about to close it down when she notices that there is another story that says still no suspects in first Lincoln robbery, which is one of Chicago's biggest banks have been robbed in broad daylight. Nancy checks the date and it's the same date that the car accident had taken place. And Nancy's like, okay, he had been charged with armed robbery previously. There was a robbery on the same day that he gets killed. So maybe he's the one who did it. Just saying, just saying. So, um, Nancy, Nancy finds out those clues and she's like, that's great. She decides to go to Mr. Whitaker's office. She runs into Bill and he says, did I hear you say somebody was going to visit? Nancy says, my friend Bess is going to come look around. And he says, oh, bring her down to the mailroom. And Nancy's like, I sure will. Um, Nancy goes back up. She sees that Lena has apparently left early because she wasn't feeling well because Nancy gave her a raft of shit for apparently placing that ad and knowing something about what's going on. So Lena's phone is ringing. Nancy picks it up and the person says, I'd like to answer one of your ads. And Nancy says, well, we don't normally do it this way, but okay. Sorry it took so long to catch up with, to catch up with me. I'll meet you on Tuesday at eight o'clock at the coffee shop on 40th and East signed the blonde and white. And Nancy's like, Nancy's writing it down, and she says, I'm afraid. But the woman's already hung up, and Nancy's like, it would cost you money to... Also, the paper's already going to press for that day, so... (coughs) If they're going to meet that night, like, it's not going to get in by that deadline, so... But Nancy's like, this is fabulous, this is a perfect clue. When suddenly, Donna, the receptionist, runs in and says... Someone just called and there's a bomb in the building. It's set to go off any second. So, of course, everybody flips the fuck out. Somebody screams. Somebody else leaps up and moves to the elevators. They start stabbing at the buttons, being like, why is it not coming faster? And Nancy's like, we should not be on the elevators. I'm just saying, we need to take the stairs. So, Mr. Whitaker comes in and is like, okay, let's just let's evacuate down the stairwell. Just make it orderly. It seems to be very slow. Somebody's coming around and they're like, the bomb's about to go off and it's Bill Stark. <clears throat> um, he's screaming, we're going to die, we're going to die. And Nancy's like, shut the fuck up. Like, basically, she does the whole slap in the face cold water thing. And she's like, look, you're not helping. Everybody else here is just trying to get out of the building. Just, just shut the fuck up and get downstairs. And he's like, okay, I'm sorry. So they get out. Nancy catches up with Bess and George, who have just arrived. The security guard wouldn't let them in. Everybody's milling around. It's like a fire drill. Um, everybody's like, this is like being let out of school early. I wouldn't mind seeing the place blow up. And I'm like, I feel this at every possible level. The bomb squad shows up, the fire department, everything. Mr. Whitaker announces that everybody has the day off except for non-essential, except for essential personnel. <clears throat> and somebody near Nancy is like, I'm not going to stay and find out if I'm an essential person. <laughs> so Nancy has guided Bess and George around, but Bess has not recognized anybody. But it's also partially, she says, some of these people seem familiar, but it's because I came up with you the other day to the newspaper office, so I don't know anymore. I just don't know. So um, they ask about Ned. Nancy says that he's he looks pretty bad. He's regaining consciousness, though. They're not sure if he's going to be able to play sports. So Nancy does ask them to go visit him and they do take, George is like, a nice spidery plant is going to be perfect for him. So that's, that's what they end up doing. So anyway, Nancy has that clue of 40th and East, um, go to a coffee shop, they're going to meet. So that's great. So of course she can't get it in the newspaper in time, but she can go there and meet the girl in white and maybe figure out what the fuck's going on. So um, George and Bess are like, you're not going by yourself, though. And Nancy's like, uh, okay, fine, fine. So they drive there together. Um, they drop Nancy off. But there's no coffee shop there. It just looks really industrial and kind of run down. So they drop Nancy off. They go to see if maybe there's a coffee shop, like, up a block or down a block or something. Um, when somebody comes up behind Nancy and smashes her in the back of the head. So now Nancy and Ned both have head injuries, which means that they should be in hospital beds near each other so that they can gaze, gaze at each other longingly while possibly eating jello. Um, 
The blow knocked Nancy out instantly. She didn't even feel it as somebody dragged her to the edge of the road and draped her face down over the curb, which to me sounds like somebody was setting her up to have her head like literally run over by a car. But anyway, um, the next chapter opens with Nancy saying, I'm fine, Bess, because apparently Bess and George found her without running over her head, uh, <laughs> put her in the car and took her home. So, um, let's see. Yeah, she, by the time they got back to her, actually, she had already recovered a little enough to stand up and everything. But they couldn't find any coffee shop nearby. They don't know what the hell was going on. They didn't see anybody who seemed like the woman in white, so the blonde in white. Um, Nancy tells Bess and George to stop by Ned's hospital room so that they can say hi to him because she feels like she can't really go right now because she's got so much going on with the case and she knows that she's going to want to talk to him about it and... George is like, we'll take him some kind of potted plant, too. A nice spidery potted plant is just the thing for an invalid. So, George has thought this shit through. George has probably broken a lot of bones, so there's that. Um, Nancy's thinking about the armed robbery and the glove, which they never explain the nickname. It it does sound kind of sex-related. Um... Nancy notices a car that's pulling out of the parking lot at the newspaper office, and it's the same dark blue car that had hit Ned. So Nancy decides that she needs to catch it, of course. So she's in her Mustang. She um, <clears throat> She's trying to chase him in traffic. They get like two blocks ahead of her. She notices that the person is turning, and she needs to get there. So she actually, and this is the fucked up thing, she actually pulls into not the center lane, but like over the the line and just drives the wrong way down a lane of traffic because she needs to get to this person so fucking bad. Of course, no, no cop stops her. She's Nancy fucking Drew. Her father, of course, the inventor of Toaster Strudel would not be pleased to hear about this were you to pull her over when she's pursuing a suspect, so... Um, she manages to pull off, they're going toward the interstate, and so, of course, she needs to know whether they're going to be going, which way on the interstate, that's what she's looking for. Um, the expressway, east or west. The driver doesn't signal, there's not a lot of traffic this way, even though it seems that they've only gone, like, maybe two blocks from where they were at the intersection. Um, so... She goes onto the on-ramp, and then she saw the orange sign, Road Legally Closed, Proceed at Your Own Risk, State Liability Limited, which sounds like it had to be the exact wording off a, a sign, honestly. No wonder there were only two of them. Also, what does legally closed mean? Were they doing construction? What is happening? Anyway, there's there's no real indication what the fuck's happening. Um, just as it was about to read the Street Expressway, the dark blue car made a U-turn and screeched back down the one-way ramp. It was heading straight toward her, then it was passing her on its way back down the ramp. Things happened so fast, Nancy hadn't even gotten a glimpse of the driver. But meanwhile, she hadn't slowed down at all, and in another second, she'd be on the expressway. So she actually merges onto the expressway. Um, she hears a crash behind her. She pulls over onto the shoulder of the expressway, grabs her purse, and jumps out of the car because... She has decided that the person who hit Ned has apparently had a car accident and she needs to help them. So she goes to the back of her car. She takes out the blanket that she put over Ned very lovingly and caringly after he got his head smashed in by this car. And she's got her first aid kit. And I think that that has a flashlight in it, if I remember correctly. But um, what was left of the dark blue sedan was lying in a crumpled mess on its back about 100 feet ahead of her when she went back to the entrance ramp. But some miracle, there were no other cars on the ramp. And I'm like, if it's legally closed, then of course it's not. I, I'm a little bit confused about logistics at this part, honestly. The sedan must have hit the guardrail, ricocheted across the road, and flipped over. Nancy approaches the car. She doesn't see anybody around that she can flag down for help or, of course, get to call an ambulance because, again, she got no cell phone. Uh, she goes over next to the wreck. She gets on her knees to look into the car, and it's empty. So she's like, what the literal fuck? Like, somebody clearly just got the shit beat out of them in this car. Um, Let's see. She opens up the car door. But there's nobody inside. 
she looks around trying to see if she can see anybody. Um, of course she's wearing heels, which she, she's like, maybe they ended up in the woods somehow. Maybe they were thrown out of the car, even though that doesn't make a lot of sense. So she walks over there and the, because of course it's misty and it's rainy and the grass is wet. And so her heels immediately sink into the dirt and it's nasty and it's just all bad. So she's in the woods, she's got her flashlight out, she's looking around, and then a man steps out of the trees onto her path, and it's Bill Stark, the mailroom employee, the one who had freaked out during the bomb threat. He laughed, and Nancy Drew, he answered mockingly. His pale eyes were glittering in the flashlight beam, and he was shivering uncontrollably. His hands were behind his back as if he were hiding something, a gun. He took another step toward her, but Nancy stood her ground. Her mind was racing. How much did Bill know she knew? She had better try to sound as ignorant as she could, as though running into an acquaintance in the middle of the woods by an express ramp could happen to anyone. <laughs> so she says, oh, is that your car? Oh my gosh, I saw that there had been a wreck and I stopped to help whoever it was and it was you. That's so weird. And he's like, bullshit. So anyway, I told you to stay away. It's too bad for you. You couldn't leave well enough alone. I wouldn't have hurt Bess. I just want to make sure she staffed my back. Um, so Bill thinks that Bess led him on about being the right girl, but then she tried to play it off like she didn't know what he was talking about. So he's like, why did she answer the ad? And Nancy's like, because it was a personal ad, and it sounded like you were looking for a date. So he Bill takes credit for dumping the bricks. We're on page 97 at this point. Like, we've got another 50 pages to go. And you're like, but this feels like the ending of the book. And you would be correct. I'm feeling that way. Um, Nancy's like, oh, you're the one who threw those bricks. That was, how'd you manage that? And he was like, I just happened to be on the roof. And it's all best. And decided this would be a good way to deal with it. I've got a master key. Um, but he keeps coughing and shivering. And he's clearly like going into shock or something bad is happening. Um, and then he says, sorry about your boyfriend, by the way. He said he sounded as if he were apologizing for spilling her coffee i meant to hit you of course of course nancy echoed but don't be too hard on yourself after all you did manage to knock me out if that was you last night i mean yeah i was standing and reading the message while you were writing it down you didn't even know i was there i decided to meet you too bad the girl in white didn't show up you must have written down the address wrong the mom threat of course was also to get her out of the building and because he knew that if Bess saw him that she would identify him um <clears throat> He put the ad in. He put the the fake ad on Lena's desk to make it look like she was responsible. Um. So yeah, everything. And so, Nancy's like, okay, what what the fuck was the point of all this then? Okay, so he won't tell her. He's like, you already know too much, and now I have to kill you. Of course, of of fucking course. But again, he just survived. His car flipped, and he is clearly wounded. So Nancy decides that her best bet is to try to get the fuck away from him because, of course, her car is still working. So she <clears throat> runs away from him down the hill, um, manages to get to, like, a stream, basically. Um, he's coming up behind her. She trips and falls. He's approaching. When he slips, because, of course, the ground is incredibly wet and there's a lot of leaves, etc. So he slips, falls down, and Nancy hears nothing. She goes over to find him, like, on the ground, and he's like, I broke my leg. And Nancy's like you big fucking baby, like, l let's go to my car, the rain has started falling, she's like, let's go to my car, like, I can, I can try to get you to a hospital, or we can try to flag down somebody to call an ambulance or something, but I'm not gonna leave you out here, and he's like, why wouldn't you just leave me out here, and she's like, because I'm just not built that way, so, at one point, like, he basically is like, I can't go on, just leave me here. And she's like, I'm not going to do that. So she drags his sorry ass, like, literally grabs his arm and drags his sorry ass to her car. She's like, this has been the worst. Like, he's dead weight at this point. Um, She manages to get him into the passenger seat, which I'm like, okay, I can buy that you're dragging him along the ground. It's wet. Okay, maybe there are some hills. It's fine. But at that point, I'm like, you would need to revive his ass to get him to climb into that seat, but okay. So, um, while they're on the way, he's, well, they're sitting in the car. Like, the storm has kicked up. There's a lot of wind and rain, and Nancy's like, yeah, I can't drive in this. Like, this is, like, hurricane weather. She said dumbly because they're in Illinois, but anyway, um... <laughs> 
if it is hurricane weather, that would be super fucking weird. Um, so while they're sitting there waiting and she does actually manage to flag down a motorist and get them to call an ambulance, um, Bill seems to be kind of delirious or like not really himself from the pain. So he tells Nancy the whole reason that he was trying to find the blonde and white is because she has the money. And Nancy's like, which money? And he's like, John, the glove. He was my partner. And John and Bill are the ones who robbed the bank. The girl was the getaway driver. So they, Bill jumped into his own car. John jumped into the car with the getaway driver because they felt that if, if the cops actually did pursue them, that having two cars would be better than having just one because that way they might, you know, be able to get away from it. But the blonde and white, who was John's girlfriend at the time, um, somehow got involved in a car accident. And when they found the car, they didn't find the duffel bag full of money in the car. And he was the one who had the money with him. So Bill's like, she has the money. Half of it is mine because I was his partner in this. And that's what I'm looking for her. And Nancy's like, what makes you think she hasn't spent that shit? Like, I'm, I'm just saying, and he's like, it's, it's just a feeling I have. So, um, yeah. The robbery went fine. It was great and, and blah, blah. And he's just like, yeah, yeah. So, um, let's see. She says she'd rather turn herself in than have me checking for her. We were going to meet tomorrow because he tells Nancy that he showed up for the meeting and smacked her on the back of the head, but the girl didn't show up. So he managed to get her number and call her back and they've set up another meeting for that night. She's been scared out of her mind. Um, only now, how can I go meet her? Even if we do get rescued soon, I'm hurt too badly to go anywhere but a hospital. And then I'm as good at, as in jail. I have the worst look in the world. And Nancy's like, I could go meet Jenny for you. Because Jenny is the name of the girlfriend. Which I think Bill says he had only met her like once or twice. He didn't know what her name was. And that's why he was like, if you are blonde, I'd like to wear white. Um, Bill's like, she could be a murderer. The thing that he's focusing on for this is that Jenny was the getaway driver and that there's some allegation that it might have been foul play for the, um, in the car accident. Like, maybe she staged the accident. Maybe she purposefully had a car accident so that he would die. But anyway, so Bill's like, she might be a murderer. And Nacy's like, that's just a risk I have to take. So, <coughs> Nancy takes Bill to the hospital um, of course, because he was crying about his leg being broken or whatever, she's like, I think he's going to be fine, but there are, are police there to make sure that he stays there. Um, Bill is like, you're being so good to me. Um, I'll never be able to thank you. I, I'll spend the rest of my life trying to make it up for you. And Nancy's like, I'm, hey, as soon as you get out of here, you're going to probably going to jail, but I mean, it's fine. So yeah, she's like, it's going to be fine. So she decides to go meet Jenny. Jenny tells Nancy, um, when she, when Nancy explains the situation, Jenny tells Nancy that it was an accident, that she ran a red light, I think, and she saw the car coming and just abandoned it. And Nancy was like, but you moved his body to the driver's seat. And she was like, well, you know, I didn't want anybody to think that I'd been in the car or whatever, but yeah. Anyway. Ooh. Uh, Nancy goes to the hospital just to check and see what's going on. She checks in on Ned to find that he has the ugliest flower arrangement she'd ever seen. It was a china vase shaped like a donkey and filled with huge mustard-colored chrysanthemums. A balloon that said, for a good boy, was tied to the donkey's neck. Ned's like, Bess and George thought that would cheer me up. I can't wait until one of them ends up at the hospital so that I can send it to her. (laughs) He said someday. He said, I can't help but wish that. Um, Nancy's like, I can't talk to you about the case. And Ned's like, that's okay. And he's he's happy to see her. And and she's like, um, I've got a date. Like, she's like, I just can't talk to you about the case. But um, And it's like, you've got a date. And she's like, yeah, with a girl I know because she's about to go meet Jenny. And he's like, oh, that's just the way of the world, I guess. The guy's in the hospital for a few hours and his girlfriend forgets all about him. Stop, Nancy said more sharply than she had meant to. You know I'd come see you if I could. This is something I can't get out of. So she gives him a kiss and she's like, I wish I didn't have to leave. Um, I'll be back tomorrow. And Bill has checked himself out of the hospital when she goes by to check. Um, 
he was whining and crying about his leg, but it wasn't actually broken. It was probably just, they said he probably just um, bruised his bone. So, Nancy's like, what the fuck? Like, I was told that he was not going to leave the bed. And they were like, uh, you know, I'm sorry. It just happened. But anyway. So, Nancy goes to the restaurant. She checks around. She doesn't see Bill inside or outside. Um, Jenny comes in. Jenny tells Nancy that it was an accident. She didn't mean for it to happen. Um, she was just jumpy and everything. She also tells Nancy that she hasn't spent that much of the money. Like, she basically kept it under her bed. She didn't want to think about it. She spent a little bit of it to settle down here in River Heights. Um, yeah, it's the thing that happened, like, she says that she got out of the car and walked away with a briefcase in her hand. That's a duffel bag, but she's saying briefcase. Um, it was a big, massive accident. Nobody was really looking at me, and now I had all that money and no John. I went home and put the briefcase under my bed, and then I went to work. I called in earlier and said I'd be late. Here's the thing. She is saying that this is her boyfriend who she loves, who she agreed to be the getaway driver for. The car runs into them, mangles him so badly that he can only be identified through probably, like, fucking dental records. And then she was like, so I took the money home and then went to work. And you're like... Sure you did. Sure. That's that seems perfectly reasonable. Also, if the car accident was that horrific, like she apparently walks away from it without a scratch on her, so that's fun. Um Jenny's like, Oh, I, I realized that Bill was after me and I was like, Oh, I guess I'll be able to stop running because I had been nervous about what was gonna catch up with me and then they hear a tapping in the window and there's Bill looking in, grinning maniacally, and Jenny's like, Oh my god, he's gonna kill me and Nancy's like well, we have to get out of here. So they head for the back door, and there's Bill just waiting for them, just looking real cadaver-esque. Um, and then he says, hi, gals. He pulls out a gun, points it right at Nancy's face, and then he says, okay, Jenny, tie her up. And then Jenny grabs a, grabs Nancy, stuffs Nancy's mouth with a rag that Bill had thrown to her and tied another rag over it. And Nancy's like, what the f- What? What? Um... So to Nancy, it looks like Jenny's just a completely different person at this point. Um, Jenny ties her hands behind her. Is that true? She was pinning Nancy's arms behind her back so tightly. I was like, no, she she doesn't have her hands tied when she's in the back. Um, They wrestle her into the trunk of the car and decide to take her to the morning record building, as one does. Yeah. Nancy was furious with herself for believing everything. And you're like, but really, how... How would you have known? But wouldn't anyone have trusted them? She asked herself. Bill hadn't been faking the agony he'd been in the day before, even though he had managed to conceal part of the truth from her. And Nancy was sure Jenny's story was pretty close to the truth. But keeping the money unspent under her bed seemed a little unlikely to Nancy now. I was like, it seemed unlikely to me from the beginning, but okay. Um, They take her out at the newspaper office. Of course, Bill still has the gun. Um... They march her upstairs. There's not a lot of people there because it's late at night. And apparently the paper's already gone to press. So there's nobody around really doing anything. Um, they take the service elevator, I think. Yeah. They go up to the computers, actually, on the fifth floor in the newsroom. And Bill's like, go ahead and sit down. I'm a pretty nice guy, but, you know... There was a lot that I needed to do, and I wasn't going to let something like that get in my way. So the night that um, Bill hit Nancy on the back of the head and left her, they're draped over the sidewalk, ready to get her head crushed by any passing vehicle. Um, Jenny did actually show up. So they talked together, and they decided that they would they would form a new partnership. We're leaving town together with the bank money. I have a lot of follow-up questions. So if Jenny and Bill met the night that Nancy got smashed on the back of the head and then Bill was like, oh, I'm supposed to meet Jenny tonight. That's weird. Like, that makes it sound like he'd already figured out that he was going to be taken to the hospital, escape from the hospital, setting up the meeting so that he could then get down. Like, it's, it feels a bit too, too well put together for me, but okay. Um, so... Nancy's like, my friends are going to come looking for me. They know that I'm here. And Bill's like, no, it's fine. I'm, you're just going to type up a suicide note, and then we're going to push you out the window. And Nancy's like, no, no, that nope, there, there's no part of that that I'm interested in. He's like, guess who has a gun? So, 
so yeah, um, they basically dictate, you're sorry you've realized how much trouble your job has caused other people, like, you can't live with the guilt any longer, you've decided to end it all, like, seriously, why are they not name-dropping that on this, like, my boyfriend is in the hospital, I'm hurt, and, you know, he, he was hurt because of my cases, and, and then they're like, now just type goodbye, he read it quickly, good, I'll get it into the paper later, Sure, because anybody wants to read Nancy's purported suicide note that she typed on a computer without handwriting in 1988. Yes, all of this is logical and reasonable and makes perfect sense. Anyway, but the way that they talk about it, it's like they start the computer and then Nancy starts typing. And I'm like, that's not how that ever has worked. So, okay, um, sure. So, actually, Jenny goes over to the window, fucking breaks the plate glass window so that, yeah. Um, initially Bill was going to shoot Nancy and Jenny's like, if it's supposed to be suicide, then why wouldn't she just jump out the window? Like, Bill's like, but it's only four stories down. Jenny shrugged. So what? If she falls head first, Bill paused for a heart shattering second to think about it. Then he put the gun down. You know, you're right. The window it is. Nancy, there's been a change in plans. (laughs) So Jenny picks up a chair and busts out the window. They drag Nancy toward the window. Um... Nancy manages to get the gun, but then Jenny screams, and Nancy's startled, and so Bill gets the gun back away from her. They force her up to the window. Um, Nancy, of course, they're like, if you don't do this, then we're going to fucking shoot you. So she's like, ah, I never got to say goodbye to Ned, Nancy thought, or my father. I like that she thinks of Ned first. I love this. Um, Jenny grabs her hand, Bill's over there, she, she's struggling as hard as she could, help me somebody, she screams out the window, out we go, said Bill and push, Nancy toppled forward into the dark air and plummeted toward the ground, um, she kicks her legs down so she doesn't fall on her head, but she falls onto a window ledge on the fourth floor, so she falls on, falls onto the ledge, starts to roll off, and then pushes herself back against the wall, Bill and Jenny are looking down, and they're like, okay, you, you know that we're just going to shoot you now. So Bill takes the gun out and is pointing it down at her. And Nancy's like, okay, so again, it's only four stories. So she's hopeful that she'll be okay. So, um, if I stay here, she'll shoot me for sure. I've got a better chance of making it if I jump. So she closes her eyes and jumps. Um, she lands in the shrubs, of course, but everything seems to be okay. Bess and George are outside. And so they send the cops inside. The cops go inside and they arrest Bill and Jenny. Um, of course, you know, the whole suicide note. Um, Bess, Bess and George actually followed Nancy to the restaurant where she was supposed to meet Jenny. Bess saw Bill through the window and Bess recognized that that was the guy who she'd seen. So she knew that this was bad. So they followed Nancy back to the building, went and got the cops and brought them back so that they could not actually rescue Nancy. So that's when um, they're bringing Bill downstairs Bill's in handcuffs. Police brutality. I'll sue the whole department. Bill was roaring. I'm in agony. I think my ribs are broken. Then he caught sight of Nancy. This is all her fault, if not for those pesky kids. If she hadn't come snooping around here, none of this would have happened. It's entrapment. So, yeah. Yeah. Um, they... Nancy's like, oh, I've got to go to the hospital and see Ned. And the officer who had done the arresting is like, we need to get a statement from you. And... Bess is like, honey, just, it's okay. Visiting hours have been over for hours, and just go home and get some rest. So, the next day, Nancy goes to the hospital and tells Ned about what was going on, because she had cleared it with his doctor, actually. She was like, is it okay if I tell him about the case? And the doctor was like, it's it's done now, right? Like, you're you're done with it now? And Nancy's like, yeah. And he goes, then I'm sure it's fine. Like, you're, you're alive, you're fine. It's okay. So, I guess uh, Nancy seems a little bit out of it. She couldn't shut out one tiny nagging worry. Had it all been worth it? What's the matter, Ned asked. You're a million miles away and it doesn't look like much fun. I guess I'm wondering what I accomplished this time, Nancy said. Sure, I helped catch two people who should be behind bars. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. But that was really just luck. If Bill, if Bess hadn't answered that ad, if Bill hadn't had that car accident, if Bess and George hadn't come at just the right time, everything could have been completely different. It seems to me that I didn't do anything except get your head hurt for you. Nancy, Nancy, Ned said, striking her cheek. That's not true. You make your own luck. If you hadn't been a girl who looks out for her friends, you'd never have investigated the paper at all. If you hadn't already solved a case involving one of his reporters, Mr. Whitaker would never have let you prowl around on the paper, at the paper. And if you hadn't helped Bill get out of the woods even after he attacked you, he never would have confessed to robbing the bank. None of it would have happened if you weren't the kind of person you are. As for me getting hurt, Ned continued, I don't want to hear you talking like that. 
but it wouldn't have happened if I weren't a detective. But if you weren't a detective, you wouldn't be Nancy Drew. And Nancy Drew's the girl I happen to be in love with. So, um, also, no lasting injury. Ned should be able to play sports with no problem. So, everything is fine. Everything is perfectly fine now. Um, yeah. So, Nancy floats out of Ned's hotel room. Listen to me. Hospital room on a cloud. And Bess is like, what's going on? Did he hurt his head again? Nancy's like, he's fine. Um... We'll still have plenty of time before he has to go to bed. It's he's taking an additional week off to recover, so no more term papers for at least another week. In that case, we better try to do a lot today, said Buzz. Once he's out of the hospital, we'll never see you again. Let's start by going out for brunch somewhere. I'm absolutely starving. So, George laughs because she's like, oh, if you were a personal ad, it would be like, hungry girl looking for a guy with deep top pockets. And Bess is like, you're cruel after all I have to eat today because tomorrow I'm going on a diet. And they burst into laughter, which is such a fucking weird note to end this on. I mean, it's it does definitely seem like a callback to the original mystery stories. But come on, y'all. Like, can't we just have one more joke that's not that? Like, uh, anyway. So that concludes this season so we're gonna go back to the original mystery stories for a hot minute so we're gonna go back to 19 we're in the 1950s now actually um so some thoughts about this one Uh, it's so fucking weird like again I like to talk about how the mystery stories in a lot of those cases she's solving cases for underprivileged underserved communities people who otherwise would not have been able to get any sort of relief from law enforcement. And in this one, she's investigating because Bess was attacked, basically, because Bess had an unpleasant experience. And so she's just, to help Bess out, to help her basically get closure over this or whatever, she's like, oh, well, I'll I'll go check things out of the paper. So what she says at the end to Ned does kind of hold together and ring true because it's like a lot of this she didn't instigate but she also just happened to be in the right place at the right time so also it was a bank robbery it feels like a victimless crime like the other thing where it's like did she kill her boyfriend by run like that also feels very risky to me but i idk i psh, psh, that's fine so yeah it's a weird one the other than, of course, there being a lot of angst over Ned hanging his head, the one thing that I, that stuck out to me so much for this one was that Nancy basically runs into the person who she's pretty sure is the villain. The villain confirms his identity, and then she saves him. Maybe not necessarily his life. Like, I don't think he would have died in the woods if he'd been left out there, but, like, she takes it on herself to drag his sorry ass back to her car so that they can sit in there with the heat on and a blanket over him because he's clearly shivering and upset. And she's like, this is the kind of person I am, is the kind of person who would do this for you, even though you have literally tried to kill me. Like, yeah, you've you've literally tried to do that. And for her, it's like, I'm curious. I want to know what she did on this case. Also, I'm going to turn you into the cops as soon as I possibly can, but... I also don't think it's fair for me to leave you out in the woods to die. So from that perspective, yeah. Also, what the fuck system is Emerson on with this three-week intercession? Like, again, if the ghostwriter didn't want to deal with Ned, which I would argue that they did a pretty fantastic job. Um, Just have him write another fucking term paper. There's an extra credit thing. We are taking a camping trip. I'm going to go to Hong Kong. Like, we haven't hit that in the mystery stories yet, but Ned does spend some time in Hong Kong as part of, like, an exchange program. But anyway, um, so, yeah. That's it for this one. So, we're going to, when we return to the files, we'll be back in 1988. Good times, good times. I'm I'm so fucking excited for the next file season. You have no fucking clue. So, as always, stay sleuthy, my friends.